Leanne Marie Hosberg was a 14-year-old from Brooklyn, New York. She was Native American and had two younger twin sisters. On March 18, 1999, Leanne left for school as she usually did. That afternoon, she didn't return home. Her parents eventually determined Leanne never arrived at school that day. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. I picked the title of this episode knowing that 80% of Unfound's audience is women. Yes, that's true for all true crime types of programs, by the way. Yes, it was a risk, but I think you'll understand the name once you hear all the details of this disappearance. Yet in general, even here in 2021, when identifying by gender is becoming passé, there is still the perception that men and women handle their differences differently. With men, the belief is that if two guys have a beef, they fight it out and end up having a beer afterwards, or uh, one of them ends up dead. Whereas with women, the stereotype is that they're much more passive-aggressive. Dirty looks, rumor spreading, backstabbing, trashing on social media, etc. It's the very reason that females fighting in public is such a spectacle, because it's such a rarity. Granted, everyone can be equally combative and nasty. We just go about it in different ways. Well, in the disappearance of Leanne Hosberg, she didn't show up for school, and some of her friends knew it yet they withheld that information from her family and investigators. I'm not saying these young ladies are the main suspects, but you'll be required to determine what exactly is going on with these mean girls. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyonez's website, charlieproject.org. Leanne Hosberg was a Native American girl who found herself in New York City when her mother got married. When Leanne was two years old, her mother Robin and her new father Alan had two more girls, fraternal twins. Everything was great. All three girls got along and were very close. But then, in 1998, tragedy struck when Leanne's mother had a devastating stroke that put her in the hospital for three months. After this, Alan noted Leanne's grades began to decline, and the two had grown distant. But nobody was overtly worried. So, on March 18, 1999, Leanne left for school like any other day. Her mother was finally back at their house, and things were slowly getting back to normal. 
That afternoon, Leanne was late coming home. Her mother called Alan. He tracked down some of her friends who said they didn't know where Leanne was and gave no indications of anything out of the ordinary. Just hours later, though, during a call to the school, Leanne's parents discovered she had not attended classes that day, something her friends withheld. Leanne was never seen again. Over the next few days, upon finding a secret journal Leanne kept, her parents learned Leanne had become interested in a couple different boys and had been having intimate conversations with an adult male behind her parents' back. We don't cover many child disappearances on Unfound for reasons that I've talked about several times. I decided to feature Leanne's case because there is no reason to believe her parents are suspects and there could be reasons to believe foul play occurred. But that will be for you, the audience, to determine as you contemplate these three questions. Number one, if Leanne meant to run away, why didn't she take her journal with her? Number two, is it a coincidence that this adult male's fiancé was in the same neighborhood as Leanne when she would have been walking to school? And number three, is there any chance that Leanne decided to go back to her Native American heritage by traveling to Nebraska, where her biological father lived? Leanne's family is open to many possibilities, but what mainly concerns them are the people who knew Leanne who refused to be helpful 22 years later. The guest for this episode is Leanne's father, Alan Artali. Unfound news. I've had a very busy two weeks. From Florida to Louisiana, back to Florida, then out to Colorado, then back to Florida, and I'll be traveling to South Florida next week to speak to students at Nova Southeastern University. The presentation is open to the public. Maybe I'll see you there. Next, look for a new edition of Unfound Now on the Unfound podcast channel on YouTube this weekend. It feels like I just did one. Where is the time going? Finally, if you missed it, I made this past Sunday's Patreon blog free to the public. I posted the link on Facebook Twitter, and on our website. I wrote about my trip to Colorado and my opinions of the Steve Pankey trial. It's over 7,000 words. You should check it out. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Pandora, Audible, Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show on the Unfound podcast channel. Watch, listen, and become a subscriber. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This week, I need to thank Clarissa. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Unfound podcast. I also need to give a huge shout out 
to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on YouTube on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching, and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the book's at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Yes, you know it. Don't forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com, or you can track down my assistant, Heather, in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfoundpodcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the father of Leanne Hosberg, Alan Artali. Alan, welcome to Unfound. Thank you, Ed. Let's start here as we usually do uh, for interviews with parents of uh, missing children. Uh, let's just talk about your uh, family uh, going back to that, to that time of the 1990s, Alan. Um, I believe you were married. Um, but I'm, I think I'm still a little unclear. Of course, we know Leanne is a daughter of yours, but um, other children you may have and the overall dynamics of your family uh, in the 1990s. Well, first of all, uh, I don't have any other children besides uh, Leanne, uh, Nicole Artali, and Danielle Artali. Um, Leanne is not my biological daughter. Hmm. She, she is the daughter of... Robbins, who uh, Robin is my ex-wife, uh, was my wife at the time Leanne disappeared, and um, she uh, had been in a previous relationship with a person out in uh, Nebraska who uh, is a Native American, I believe is fully Native American, and uh, uh, Leanne is their daughter, technically speaking, biologically speaking. Huh. Yes, okay. and so Leanne is half Native American. Oh, okay. And so uh, when you married her mother, did you uh, uh, adopt Leanne? She, uh, I guess, on paper, officially became your daughter then? I did I did not do that. So, oh, okay. Um, th this was, uh, we had met in uh, 1985. Uh, we had gotten married around 1986, uh, February 1986. Um, uh, I had... Uh, taken a job uh, in uh, HVAC at the time, and uh, then uh, uh, Robin had become pregnant with Danielle and Nicole, who are actually twins, uh, and um, huh. fraternal, fraternal twins. Okay. And uh, so, you know, our lives kind of began at that point. Uh, at that point, after that, I did not, I had not adopted the end, Okay. Uh, which was one of the really big things that I feel like I made a huge mistake. Not okay. Doing. Okay. All right. And how old was she when you married her mother? Um, she was, so at 86, so she was about two years old. Two years old. Wow. Okay. So, you know, uh, all of you are living there in the New York City area, uh, in particular Brooklyn, but, you know, she grew up. You were around her, even though it wasn't on paper. Uh, I guess you were fathering her, right? Being a role model, for, role model for her. Definitely. Okay. 
How was the dynamics uh, between Leanne and your two other children? What was the, the age difference there? Did they have a lot of similarities, different personalities? How would you explain uh, your interaction? They were, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's uh, all right. Uh, Danielle and Nicole were born in uh, December of 1987. Leanne was born on you know, August 9th, uh, 1984. So they were approximately three years apart. The dynamics, I think, were, you know, similar to, you know, I think what you'd find in any other family uh, like that. I mean, Leanne mm. really wasn't old enough when they were born to, you know, to think about her, uh, you know, not being a, a, the biological daughter right. of mine. Uh, so I think to her, you know, they were just her sisters. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it, was this, was, it was a similar dynamic to what you would find in any other family. I mean, you know, I think there was a little bit uh, of envy of the two of the two girls, you know, being so young and, mm-hmm. you know, two girls need more attention than one. So, <laughs> so you know, all of the attention was focused on, on the two girls, especially yeah. when they were infants. And yeah. so I, I think that, you know, I think that at mm-hmm. that time, Leanne acted accordingly, but there was no, you know, outlandish behavior on her part mm-hmm. at, that, at that particular time. And okay. as they grew older, you know, they, they really loved each other. They really mm-hmm. came, came to love each other as, a, you know, right. sisters. Right. You know? Uh, and, and I have to remember, they were only separated by two or three years or something like that, which really is not that big of a difference. Now, maybe once you get to, like, of course, Leanne's age at 14 – when she disappeared compared to 11, that's a big difference. But maybe there's not a big a difference between 10 and 7. You know, I, I would say, of course, maturity and, and all that. Um, all right, so you have uh, three daughters, your wife, and you're the only guy, Alan, right? You know, the only guy, okay. All right, so let's uh, talk a little bit more about Leanne exclusively. Um, her interests, her hobbies, education, etc. just... You know, maybe moving up to those, uh, you know, 11, 12, early teen years. What, what do you remember about that time? Well, she liked um, she liked music a lot. She used to listen to all kinds of music, uh, even um, pop music at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she used to like to watch, you know, Disney movies. And as she got older, she liked to she liked to write. <clears throat> she 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 wrote mm-hmm. some poems. You know, she she was writing poems here and there, and um, yeah. you know she uh, she had seemed to be a you know a typical kid um, uh, growing up. Uh, she yeah. uh, she liked hanging out with her friends. I mean, uh, I mean, when she was younger, of course. You know, they they all we we lived next door to uh, people that had kids, so mm-hmm. you know the kids loved to get together all the time. And since they were that close. They were always playing. I mean, even from <clears throat> when they were young, you know, to uh, till they till they got older. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, she, uh, you know, I think she kind of grew up normal in a, you know, as normal yeah. as possible as an environment that we could provide. Yeah. Did uh, her being Native American affect her upbringing in any way? I once again, I've only ever been to New York City once, but I'm guessing there maybe aren't many. Native American children in Brooklyn, New York, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Any, how, what would you say about that? Did that affect her, her upbringing and how she was viewed in any way? 
Um, she never, she never brought up the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, she brought up the fact that she was Native American, but she mm. was old enough to kind of understand it. And, you know, she had said that she wanted to see her Native American family, but, uh, huh. uh you know, it was difficult at that time because the, the, her father was a very abusive person to her uh, mom back when they were together. Okay. And her mom preferred her not to really associate with them. He yeah. never really made attempts to associate with her, you know, mm-hmm. after, uh, after, even after yeah. a long period of time. Wow. Uh, so, um, he was pretty much out of the picture. Okay. Um, but I think she was always curious about it though. Uh, mm-hmm. she hadn't really brought it up uh, a whole lot. Uh, this may have been brewing in her mind also, you know, at, uh, at some point in time before she left, she doesn't really write very much about that. Mm. She uh, mentions uh, that uh, she would like to see her father at some point in time, but, uh, you know, it was never really like the, the, the top thing in her mind yeah. at any point. And what you're talking about is this journal that we'll be discussing later in 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 this uh, in this uh, interview. But we can't talk about it just in general. Um, this journal that she was keeping. What can you pick of a time? You said she was into writing. So do you know when this journal started? Uh, at the point when she disappeared, how old was it? How long had she been keeping this journal? Um, for like a few years, and it really it wasn't so much like a journal with like log entries with time and stuff, but, uh, it was, you know, it's just a bunch of writings, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was a couple of years before, you know, um, okay. she was writing in a diary, you know, she, she was making entries basically in a diary, mm-hmm. but, um, did, did you and your, her mother know about that? At the time, no. Oh, she was doing this journal secretively. Yes. Okay. All right. But I, Okay. Um, I think she did. She did tell. Excuse me. She did tell her sisters. Oh. She shared, I believe, some. You know, like she showed mm-hmm. that she was writing a diary. Her sisters found that she had been writing a diary. But to be honest with you, until the time she left, I did not know that she was writing this diary. Okay, that's and that's something uh, something I surely want to come back to later when we talk about that diary a little more diary a little more in depth, but I think this does show how focused she was on writing. Of course, people uh, who love to write do do journals, uh, especially if they're in touch with their feelings. It certainly can help uh, expressing, you know, what's going on in a person's life, boy or girl, man or woman. What would you say about her personality? Uh, Extroverted, introverted? I would say a good balance. I would say, uh, when I say a good balance, I just mean Mm. she was extroverted but not tremendously extroverted, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, in front of new people, she would be, you know, Mm -hmm. very cordial and quiet, but, you know, with friends and stuff, she was, she was pretty outgoing. She had quite a few friends. Um, I'd say nothing, nothing out of the ordinary did not appear to be, you know, a super quiet type. She, you know, she appeared to, you know, listen when she was spoken to and spoke when, she okay. should, you know. Okay. And around that time, you know, around uh, 1998-99, what was the usual uh, pattern of your family? Of course, uh, and we're going to be getting into your ex-wife here in a little bit, but, you know, the pattern of children going to school, if you have a job, your wife uh, maybe has a job, 
you know, what was the dynamics? Everybody gets up in the morning and, and uh, how often did everybody see each other and picking kids up at school and things? What was the general pattern of your life at that time, 98 into 1999? Well, so 1998, see, the problem is, is it was a tumultuous time in 1998. There were, uh, so the first thing that had happened was the, uh, Going back a little bit, uh, the uh, the thing is, uh, something else had happened at this point. Um, she had, uh, her mom had suffered a stroke, a really wow. bad stroke, wow. on September 28th, 1998. And uh, wow. I woke up and found her in the uh, the bathroom on the floor. This is really hard to speak about. I'm sure. This is as hard to speak about as Leanne's appearance. Yeah. Quite honestly. This was probably the most, uh, uh, the worst day of my life, second to Leanne's disappearance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we had picked her up. Uh, excuse me, we didn't pick her up. We had called the ambulance and the ambulance had come and taken her to the hospital and uh, discovered that she had had a massive stroke. Uh, her uh, left side, uh, her right side uh, internal carotid artery had become completely blocked. And uh, she lost, every, uh, lost all of her ability to move on her left side. And, oh my gosh. She had, had to be in hospital oh. rehab for several months uh, after that. Uh, she had, you know, never recovered. She's, you know, still around today. Mm-hmm. She has never recovered 100% from it. Um, was there, uh, I have to ask, even though this is about Leanne's disappearance, but there were no uh, warning signs? I mean, she couldn't have been that old in 1998, right? I mean, for, for a stroke, of course, we usually think of strokes being old, older people, 70 years old or something. She surely was not that old at the time. Nope, just Robin out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Robin was 34 years old. Oh man. Uh, she uh, at that time she had been taking birth control pills, uh, which is what the uh, doctors believed wow. had caused the issue. Uh, that they couldn't find any other genetic predisposition as to why it happened. Wow. Uh, she, uh, as it turns out, though, quite honestly, there is a genetic predisposition in the family because. Huh. Her brother, of the late couple of, of the last couple of years, uh, uh, had had problems with uh, coagulation. He had massive uh, pulmonary embolisms in his lungs, and is uh, uh, really having problems as a result of it. And my daughter Danielle has been through the ringer when it comes to med- medical issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, after after they had to remove her spleen, she had grown a, uh, a massive. Uh, thrombosis in her portal vein, which almost killed her. Oh my gosh. Thank, thank God it, what they call catalyzed and, uh, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. allowed blood flow back through it. And uh, she, she's not, my daughter Danielle is not living normally either right now. She has no spleen and no, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Gallbladder? 
gallbladder exactly so mm-hmm. that's those are i only i'm no medical expert but i just know it's very common if you get one up the other one goes too so okay yeah wow so, yeah I, so the anyway the point of this is, is that there seems to be some genetic predisposition to, uh, okay. to blood coagulation so at any rate uh this was an extremely shocking thing yeah for Leanne and for Danielle uh, so I you know I had to go there and tell her what was happening with her mom and, uh, that was a very hard thing to do as well these were very hard times I, can, I can tell the toughest the toughest the toughest, toughest, toughest for sure yeah 19, 1998 to 1999 yeah uh, to, to, I would say just to 2000 were the toughest mm-hmm. times uh, one could ever have I, you know I mean yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, I, I this, uh, you know, I had my mother, I lost my mother in November of 2018, but, you know, she was 78 years old, she has some issues. Uh, this, you know, even though I, of course, suffered, this sounds worse than my mother dying. You know, once again, we expect parents to pass away first anyway, but with your wife, you know, you, you know your, other, your daughter, of course, 98, and then your other daughter, 1999, yeah, this is, this is much worse than what I experienced, so I get it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this stroke, though, uh, certainly changed everybody's uh, patterns, I'm guessing, you know, as far as what, of course, you had to take on a lot more responsibility. And how did uh, Leanne seem to be affected by all this? Well, Leanne was obviously in shock for a little bit as to what was going on. Uh, And, uh, you know, her mother was now out of the house, and it was just... uh, Myself, her, and um, Danielle in the house, um, and we were trying to balance our lives. I had to make sure that the, the girls were, you know, going to school and, you know, being fed and the laundry was being done. Um, our neighbor next door was a really, really help was really helpful through these times. She had really helped me. Um, I uh, she had helped with like making dinner for them and stuff and. Uh, mm. And uh, just helping out in general, uh, you know, I had to, uh, when I come, come home, I would have to do laundry and stuff and, uh, and uh, you know, just prepare them, you know, help them, you know, prepare for their next day or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and I was, I had just started a job, actually, uh, the job that I'm still at right now, uh, I uh, had just started it in November of that year. I had actually started it in, it was actually supposed to be October 1st, but I told them I couldn't start. I had been working for this company as a temp before, so they knew what, you know, they knew my capabilities and they didn't want to lose me, thank goodness. So they had given the time to uh, go out and um, do what I had to do in terms of, you know, Robin, uh, Robin's uh, stroke and helping her out and being there i had to go to the hospital all the time be with her and advocate make sure that things were going the way that was supposed to be going because you know how things fall but fall by the wayside in hospitals yeah Yeah. you know yeah she was just she was just so messed up and was so pitiful looking at her in that bed and she you know she was being such a good mom to the kids and all of a sudden just struck down by this horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember just, 
I would be there. Some nights I would ask, I would ask my neighbor to have the girls stay over our house because I, I just wanted to stay with Robin in the hospital at that time because I, uh, I just, I couldn't even leave her. I didn't want to leave her. And, you know, I, I was, I think I was just thinking, you know, I didn't want to get a phone call. I wanted to be there, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. But fortunately, her, her condition did improve quite a bit. She was like basically, uh, it was, she wasn't in a coma, but she was pretty comatose uh, sleeping for like a week straight. I guess, you know, her brain mm. was just kind of normalizing itself or whatever it was doing. And, you know, then finally she started to wake up and, um, you know, talk. And, and it was just mm -hmm. ridiculous. Bringing the children to visit her was even, yeah. I mean, I didn't do that. I didn't do that too much because I, I did not want to traumatize mm. them. But I felt, I also felt, though, that it was okay to see some, you know, to see reality as well yeah you know? yeah but try to keep it as upbeat as i could when, when yeah right right no. but you told me i have it once again in in the notes the outline for this interview that um leanne's you know behavior changed in, once again your opinion as her father uh you know changed after this stroke um, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. What no changes did you notice? Were they right away? Did they not start occurring to maybe till December of 98? What, what was maybe the first indicator that it seems like there was like pre-stroke Leanne and then post-stroke Leanne? Um, well, you know, the, the thing is at the time, my relationship with Leanne was, I guess you would say, um, not as not as it should have been. Okay. Uh, even leading up to 1998, and for maybe even a few years before, her mom and I were not really doing too well uh, relationship-wise, and uh, there were things that were happening that. Um, between the two of us that were kind of being exposed to at least Leanne, the, mm -hmm. the, girl, the girls were a little younger at that time and they really weren't as exposed to that as, uh, as Leanne was. But what I'm saying is, is that there were, there were some infidelities that were going on, okay. uh, on, on my part that had come out, uh, you know, prior, uh, prior to, you know, even her stroke happening, and then um, uh, it kind of the relationship between even myself and even and, and all of my daughters were kind of uh, a little not what they should have been because I wasn't there for them a lot. Uh, I I was if I wasn't working, I was um, I was out with my friends sometimes, and I was mm -hmm. you know I was not spending the time with them that I should have. And, you know, back when they were little kids, I was, but as they got older, you know, the, like, like I said, the, the relationship between their mom and myself kind of soured. And that's when the, that my behavior started uh, happening uh, with the infidelities and all of that. And I was just okay. being selfish and into myself and turned my attention away from, my children 
uh, the, the way turned my attention away from them the way I should have paid attention to them, meaning should have been doing more things with them with their schoolwork, should have been doing more things with them, you know, going to the park and doing stuff. And it wasn't like there was none of that, but there wasn't as much of that as there should have been, you know? Okay. Um, and I think Leanne started to resent that and Leanne started to resent me for doing that. And I think that's when it also kicked in her head that I never adopted her. And she was resentful of that and felt like she was an outcast as far as I was concerned. And plus I was, if I was in the house, I was strict and I would yell and that didn't go over too well with little girls, you know? And, um, so I kind of felt like I was like the heavy, you know, yeah. and I was. And uh, so I was not only acting like the heavy, I was also doing, you know, I was also not spending the time with them that I should have been. And yeah. so I really did not have a good look to my kids, I would say, between the years of 1996 all the way until Leanne's disappearance. Okay. Or at least until, you know, mm. Robert's stroke, you know. Um, okay. But, um, okay. Well, I, I, Alan, I, I appreciate you being very honest about that. I think the, the listeners uh, will appreciate, uh, you know, that as well. I know it's not easy. It's, of course, not easy to talk about a disappearance, but then, you know, talking about some of your own failings at the time and realizing, looking back, that, you know, maybe you should have been a – a different guy. I think that takes a lot of courage to, you know, admit that uh, in an interview in public. And and I know that since then you've talked about how you know you've changed, and and I think that's great. And so you, what you're saying is that you know maybe this uh, disconnect between you and Leanne, Leanne had started before uh, her uh, her mother's stroke ever happened, but then after her stroke, it, maybe you and she maybe even became more distant. Yes. Or no, yes. Okay. I, I would say so, yes. Okay. Uh, and it was just, I was, I felt like I was just dictating to her. Mm-hmm. When her mom was in the hospital and in physical therapy, I was, you know, basically like kind of barking out orders to her to, you know, clean up your room, help clean up the, help clean up, you know, the house and this and that. I mean, I was, I was telling her, you know, you have to clean up any mess you make, you have to clean up, you have to be responsible for your mess, this and that. Mom is not here to clean up for you and you should know how to clean it up. I mean, I was I wasn't like a complete tyrant. I, I was trying to be a little, you know, uh, nurturing a little bit, but believe me, when I was barking those words out, it just, there was, you know, nothing but, you know, bad sound coming out of my mouth at that time. And I, I, I can I could feel myself doing it. I, I pulled back sometimes. I didn't pull back other times. And I, I just wasn't, you know, I, looking back on it right now, I, I the, mm-hmm. it's the biggest regret I know. that I could ever have. Okay. Ever. I think any parent can understand that. Okay. I gotcha. Um, so she, uh, your wife has this stroke. Um, uh, she's in a coma, like you said, for quite a while. Uh, and I, I guess she begins to recover at some point, but you even said here, uh, here in 2021, and we're doing this interview on October 24th, 2021, that's still here in the 21st century. And we're not, I, I really don't know if we want to get more into her health issues. She's out there somewhere. And I wonder if 
you know, we don't want to get too much more into that. I don't, you know, being that she's not here to talk about her own health issues, but uh, you're sta- saying here in 2021 that there are, she still suffers some effects from that stroke that year. Oh, to a large degree. Okay. All right. And uh, I, I think that maybe we can uh, just leave it at that. Once again, she's not here to talk about her own health issues, but I, health issues, but I think it's important that this certainly is a, a uh, you know, an important point, a landmark in Leanne's uh, life to that point that I, I certainly had an effect on her. So I th- thought we certainly needed to discuss it. So as far as Leanne, well, can though, I, can I, I, please, can I just, can please. I just expound on that? One? Sure. Go ahead. The, the real, yes, the, the real reason I feel that it was such a, a, a large uh, turning point for Leanne was I felt that, you know, when she returned home and, uh, and she, was, uh, she was interacting with the, with the girls and all, uh, that Leanne, I think, felt that she didn't have the mom that she had previous to that. I could, yeah. I could see the look in her face that this was not the mom that she remembered before mm-hmm. the stroke. And it was only a couple of months after that. And yeah. I think she felt that she just didn't have person that she had as a mom. I, I think she, in her mind, was just so upset about it. Like, yeah, she, yeah. She, yeah. And she was. She yeah. was very upset about it. Yeah. Uh, if you can say, uh, when did your wife eventually come home after that stroke? How long, how many, I guess it might have been over a month. How long was it before she was able to come home? So it was like around mid-December. All right. Okay, so a couple months. Yeah. A couple months. Over, over, over a couple months. Okay. Now, as far as things outside of the family, maybe uh, you can, you know, once again, moving on to after your wife's stroke. Um. When did you maybe first get the first indicator that um, maybe things were not going right outside of the home as well? Maybe at school or something, uh, maybe a principal or teacher, anybody like that contact you and say, hey, this is what's going on with Leanne. Anything like that go on between, let's say, December of 98 and her disappearance in March? Anything like that that comes to mind? No, no. Um, And uh, quite honestly, you know, at that point... Again, I, I was, I, I had still been keeping up my job. I had been going to it regularly and I had, you know, Robin was settling into a pattern at home. She had an aide assigned to her. There were aides coming over the house, helping her, mm-hmm. um, helping her, you know, uh, with her own personal, you know, uh, stuff and um, taking care of uh, the house and so forth. And, uh you know, once again, I was not, I was not being involved in Leanne's life the way I should have. And, but there were no, there were no signs per se. Okay. Things happening. All no, right. No letters from the school saying she was cutting, although she was cutting, but mm-hmm. I, I, I believe it was more like, uh, as it was getting closer to the end, you know, towards her know towards the time she disappeared okay and uh i think she had intercepted those uh, oh my uh, if, if there were if there were uh, mailings to the house okay they may, have, may have been intercepted 
All right, we and we were certainly going to talk about how you found that all out after her disappearance because I think that that's a very important part uh, of this disappearance. One more thing before we uh, get to March 18th, 1999, and that is this guy, Barry. Uh, it's, it's up to you whether you want to use his full name or not, of course, Alan, but let's talk about this little, uh, this, um, let's talk about this guy, Barry. How did he come into your knowledge? How did you find out about him? And um, what did he give to Leanna? How did that all transpire? And how long was this before she went missing? Uh, well, the, the uh, sequence of events are not exactly that. So okay, please. The the uh, what had happened was, I would say about a year and a half prior, um, she had uh, Leanne had gone to a party of a friend of hers. Her name is Marilyn, and um, she had met this guy Barry there. And quite honestly, I don't know how or where Barry comes from exactly, but I know that she met Barry through Marilyn. Um, when I when I try to talk to Marilyn even today, she she doesn't want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to talk. And to we're gonna yeah, and we certainly I certainly want to talk about that for sure later. That's certainly a topic on the outline for sure. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. So getting back to that time. He, Barry, it turns out that Barry had given, um, this was a party for Marilyn. He had given Marilyn uh, a watch, a nice little watch, and he had given watches out to some of Marilyn's friends and Leanne being one of them. Hmm. And then uh, I had found out, I don't know, maybe a day or two later that she had this watch and uh, Robin had showed me the watch and I was like, who gave her this watch? And she had said that uh, it was this guy, Barry, who Marilyn knows. And I'm like, who, who is this guy? Uh, he, he's, a, he's a friend of Marilyn's and uh, Marilyn's mom or whatever. And, uh, you know, he had uh, he had just wanted to give out presents because, they, you know, he had come to the party and he didn't want to, you know, uh -huh. he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to make everybody feel, you know, like uh, that uh, he was, you know, just... Uh, there just for Marilyn's sake and, and uh, he wanted to be friends with everybody and all of this stuff and I'm paraphrasing right I, now. I, I, I get it yeah I, yeah I, I'm sure you, I'm sure you are paraphrasing because it does sound a little odd um, the first thing the first thing that came into my mind is why is an adult male because she had already told me when I, I had asked her it's like how old is this guy yeah uh, she's like 19 years old I'm like why is a 19 year old male giving my daughter? A watch, a present of any kind. Yeah, she's like watch thirteen at the time, or something. Right, and I don't care if he gave a present to Marilyn or anybody else. Why is he giving it to my daughter? Yeah, I gotcha. And so I said, I would like you to give the watch back, and I don't want to hear anything more about this unless, unless you have something else to tell me. And you know, being who I was back then, I never followed up on it after that i left the case the matter closed out i was told that the, the watch was given back with uh, some reluctance mm -hmm. but um that uh basically um you know uh that he had wanted her to have the watch mm -hmm. and it's it, it, it of course of course it rang you know strange in my mind yeah like i said i 
I'd never followed back up on it. Um, if I can ask, this watch, uh, watch, uh, $20 watch, I'm guessing this wasn't a Rolex, but, you know, was it a, sig a significant uh, expenditure or, you know, what do you remember about it? Well, that's the whole, I, I don't know what the actual value was of those watch, um, mm -hmm. but I think that it, it looked pretty, you know what I mean? It mm -hmm. looked pretty, it looked girly. So I think the idea was, you know, even if it was a cheap watch to have the effect like it was a nice watch, you know? Okay. Uh, do you happen to know if the other parents had their daughters give the wa the watches back, or do you think you were the only one? No, I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, okay. All right. So we have this Barry guy shows up at this party, like you said, uh, well before she went missing, and gives these watches out. It does sound a little suspicious, inappropriate, if not worse than that. And you have her give it back, uh, but like you s admitted yourself. You didn't really follow up, you know, with anything after that. For example, did you ever ask uh, Leanne after that, hey, are you staying away from Barry? Are you, have you had any more contact with Barry? Did a conversation like that ever happen after you found out about this watch? The way you remember. Um, I did not ask Leanne any okay. of those questions. I may have asked Robin. Mm -hmm. That guy, you know. He's not that guy, Barry. He's not around anymore, or something like that. You know. And, okay. You know, I haven't seen him, but uh, no. Okay. So he's at this party. That's how they were first introduced, and we're going to come back to Marilyn and Barry uh, here here in a bit for sure. So moving up to March of 1999, I just have it simply put here in the uh, in the outline here. Uh, just simply, were you worried about your daughter Leanne in March of 1999? Any big concerns? Of course, a lot of things going on there, but her and the next six months, year, two years of her life, anything that was a big concern to you? Um, wait a minute. Uh, the next six months. I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying. Uh, in March of 1999, before her disappearance, was there anything going on in her life that concerned you? That you know, well, like, bad. You know, bad tendencies. Anything like that. You know, how did you think if she not went missing, how did you think the next six months, year of her life were going to be okay? Or did you think that, man, there was some big question marks here before she went missing? Judging by her writings, there were some big question marks, yeah. Okay. Because she, her, in her writings, she was, she mostly talked about relationships with boys. Okay. That's what she mostly talked about and how her head is, her head was messed up by several boys. Okay. But that was not something you knew about before she went missing. I had no idea. Okay. But so that's, we'll, that's why I say to you Yeah. I I you know, I will never forgive myself for not yeah. you know, for not being involved more with her life. I will never forgive myself. Even if she walked through the door right now, I yeah. would never forgive myself for that. All right. Okay. All right, so I just wanted to make, but I just want to make sure we we make sure we always like to know what do we know before the disappearance, what do we know after the disappearance, disappearance, and once again, from your point of view, there was nothing obvious. Once again, and we understand that you know you have a lot of regrets about that time, but as far as you could tell from your point of view, there was really nothing that that really popped up, you know, into March of 1999. Even though we'll find out later that was not certainly the case, but outwardly. It was, everything seemed fine. Yes. Okay. So let's move up to March 18th, 
1999. And what do you remember about that day? Um, that day, I went to work as normal. Uh, woke up at my regular time. Uh, was at that time, I was trying to keep myself uh, a little healthy, so I would just I would go in a little extra early. I mean, Robin, uh, Robin had already been back into the house. Uh, there was kind of a pattern, if you will, that just settled in. You know, the girls were going to school, and uh, I had just woken up, uh, had done a, you know a half an hour's cardio in the gym, and just and then went to work. Um, and okay. it seemed pretty pretty normal, a pretty normal morning. Okay, and so um, you had said that your wife was at home; she had some aides coming in to help her with things. Yes, I mean, there was one, there was always one aid on there. Okay, and that, that aid was there that day? One one of the aides? Okay, so, and so, Leanne's, of course, 14, and your two, uh, uh, I guess one of the girls is in foster care at this time, but the other daughters there, they both go to school together, or different directions, or how was that? No, they they, they would go with different, uh, my daughter was going to New York High School, uh, no, excuse me, Leanne was going to New York High School. Mm-hmm. Danielle was going to Diker Heights Intermediate School. Okay. And, uh, so they, they didn't, they, they were, they didn't, they went separate ways. Uh, the, okay. Yeah. All right. And so you go to work, and at what point um, did you find out maybe her, her uh, mother, I guess her mother's name is Robin, your wife, uh, finds out, or did you find out first? When did you find out that she did not show up for school that day? Well, I had gotten a call, it was later in the day, uh, from Robin saying, yeah, it's not home from school yet. Uh, she might be, you know, she might be with her friends, but I, I mm-hmm. she, she was saying to me that she just kind of didn't know where she was. And um, we had at first, like I said, we had a first thought that, you know, maybe she had just, because she had friends at the time that she, you know, maybe walk home from school with or mm-hmm. go to their house or whatever. Um, and so I said, okay, just, you know, um, I'll be, I'll be leaving work soon. And, um, uh, just, you know, let me know if mm-hmm. you hear from her. And, uh, so I left work a little early that day. I got home. I think it was around five or five thirty, and no sign of her. Um, when I walked into the house, she said she's still not home yet. Huh. And I remember just this feeling came over me. And even my daughter said to me, you, you look you look pale. And I, I felt I, I just like, I don't know, I, I had a, just a feeling come over sure. me like this was a little bit something more because she was usually home at that time. And so I went out to the neighborhood and I just, I just went, I just left the house and I just went out everywhere I could just locally mm. in the vicinity. This was kind of like the first panic moment, so to yeah. speak, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't want to call anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to go out and look, just look, go around Marilyn's house, go around some friends of ours place, just go asking, have you seen Leanne? Have you seen Leanne? Have you seen Leanne? And, um, they, mm. um, you know, of course, nobody saw her. Nobody knew where she was. 
All right, let me uh, let me uh, ask some questions here. I think that might be helpful for myself and the listeners. When she would go to school, when Leanne would go to school, what was the process? I mean, did she walk down the street to get on the bus, or did was it was an entire walk to school? How did she get to and from school? Uh, it was a walk to school. It was within walking distance. Uh, she usually got out of the house about anywhere between seven. 30 and 8 30 mm-hmm. and she would uh she would just leave the house and just walk down at the time so this was new utrecht high school which is on new utrecht avenue and 74th street something like that and okay. she basically we were on new utrecht avenue and 67th street so she basically just walked from there right down the street didn't even have to make any turns uh, correct. Okay. Uh, well, the main entrance was on, uh, what was it, 15th Avenue, so she might have just walked to 15th Avenue and make a left turn. Uh, okay. Excuse me, 14th Avenue and make a left turn and then um, walk to the main entrance of, you know, of, the, mm-hmm. of the high school. So what so, uh, What would you say, 20-minute walk, half-hour walk? Yeah, 15 minutes. 15, 15 minutes. minutes. Okay, yeah. so that was her pattern. Leaving at a certain time, walking down the street, didn't have to ride a bus or anything like that. So that's um, what she usually did. And that's, of course, I guess the way she would come home unless, you know, I don't know, maybe at 14, maybe there's some after school activity. But I guess on that day, you were not expecting anything like that. And when you, um, of course, like you said, you just wanted to ride around. You, you I guess you hadn't called the school yet to find out that she didn't show up. And we'll get to that. But when you went to track down these other friends of hers, you've mentioned Marilyn a few times now, did any of them ever tell you, well, you know she didn't go to school today? Did any of them ever tell you that? No. No. Did no, they, one, no, one, no one ever told us that. In retrospect, do you think they knew that? Oh, I think they knew that she wasn't in school. Okay, but they never told you, even though that would seem like something they should tell you, they didn't? Right. Okay, all right, that's a bad sign. Okay. Um, that's bad. All right. So here are these friends of hers. You're saying, well, you know, she didn't come home and they don't even tell you, well, you know, she didn't show up for school today. That is not good. That's, that's, that's right. And, and that's, not, the, that's disgusting that, on their part, by the way, that is disgusting. Well, they had never, they had never, I mean, some, some friends did talk a little mm-hmm. bit, but never alluded to anything that, you know, had any bearing on you know, knowing mm. where she was or mm. even she, you know, was out that day. I mean, yeah. you know, not all of her friends were necessarily in her class either. Yeah. You know, she had friends. So some of them may not have even known mm. that she wasn't in class. But, you know, for the most part, mo- most of the friends didn't want to say a word. Okay. It just, as you and I, I guess what we're saying here is, Alan, and we, you know, when we were at 14... And had we not come home from school and our parents went around looking for us, I know that my friends would have said, well, you know what? Uh, he wasn't in school today. So, uh, and, and in fact, I was wondering where he was because I hadn't heard from him. That's what my friends would have said. But her friends didn't do that. The ones that were in a position to know. Well, yeah, I mean, I could see at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I could see at the time that you know, maybe they just wanted to cover her for her at that time. But even after that, you know, even even times way after that, mm-hmm. when we had kind of gone back to the well a bit and, you know, call, no, they, they, they really, mm-hmm. they wouldn't come forward with anything if they okay. would. Okay. 
All right, we're and uh, we'll talk about these. We're, we'll eventually come back to these people as adults. All right, so you're riding around. They're they're giving you this story. They don't know anything, and maybe some of them didn't, but surely some of them did. But um, you know, the, the the rest of the day, did you or your wife or somebody call the school and see? You know, did you do that that day? The next day? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, really important that called the school and found out that um, she had not been in school that day and followed up and confirmed on that. And uh, they had said that she hadn't been in school that day and she had been cutting recently. I believe the day before she was in school, but mm -hmm. there had been a little little pattern of cutting out of school. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, we later on, we had found out from a from a friend of ours in the area, an adult friend, that she had she had saw her on the subway train with her with Leanne and her uh, another couple of friends, girls. Mm -hmm. uh, they were coming from school that day. I didn't. We didn't find this out until right. a few days later from this person. Okay, so. The way you remember, once again, at the time, when you finally did talk to the school, and they say, well, you know, this isn't the first day she's missed over the, like, let's just say the last month. Can you even begin, could you begin to guess the preceding month, going back maybe to the middle of February, of the, the school days, which would be roughly 20, do you think that she missed any of those days? If so, how many? Just a guess. How often? Don't know. With her pattern, I, I don't know. Mm, it, it, okay. it wasn't even a long enough pattern to, to, okay. to make a guess on. It could have been. It could have been scattered days here and there. Mm. I don't know. I guess what I'm asking: Do you think she skipped once a week, twice a week? Maybe, maybe something. Okay. Like that. All right. So, all right. So you find that out, which is then uh, goes along with her course not coming home from school you find out that she wasn't even in school that day you find out there's other days that she had missed of course she'd come home those days but you thought that she went to school uh when yeah. do you get the when do you get the police involved and what did they do well wait before we go on to that the other the other thing that did uh clue me into maybe she had more you know time off was that she was starting she was starting to fail a little bit in school and she had always done well in school yeah. Um, but she was starting to fail. She wasn't getting her homeworks in in time, or you know, and uh, mm -hmm. she had she, she had started to fail. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's hard to do well in school when you don't show up, and right. you know, maybe the and it also when you're not showing up for school means you don't respect it anymore either. So that would also and contribute to she, bad she grades. Wasn't, she wasn't thinking of school as the primary thing in her life. She was, I believe. From her writings, I think that she was thinking that her social status and mm -hmm. her, you know, her, her connection with boys and, and friends were more important. Okay. And yeah. that was, I think, the big thing to her at that time. Okay. So when do you get the police in, in, involved, and what do they do? Um, maybe I, you know, in in in, in this con next conversation, maybe we can even state. Do the police go over and talk to these friends and do the friends give up anything to them? You know, let's just talk about the police in, involved right then in March of 1999. Okay, so we called the police that night. I think it was around 8 o'clock, something like that, after I had kind of exhausted, you know, walking around the neighborhood. 
searching in different places. Um, we had called the police, and the police had said, well, she may have, you know, she may have just be with a friend, and she doesn't want to say where she's at, she doesn't want to call, she may be home tomorrow. I'm sure she'll be home tomorrow. That's what they, was, mm-hmm. they keep saying. If she doesn't come home by tomorrow, give us another call, and we'll come out, and we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk with you. Okay. And so, you know, it was overnight. It was, you know, we, we let the night go. I still, I went around, I went around the streets that night. And, um, quite a sleepless night quite honestly waiting for her you know staying up to you know you know just in case she didn't have her keys or she lost her keys or something like that and uh nothing and uh Mm -hmm. the next morning i had uh taken off work and called the police uh, again and then um we had gotten this case open they had come down they had me, they had interviewed Robin, they had interviewed my daughter Danielle, who was, you know, just a kid at the time. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, it was just basically, you know, talking to them about what transpired, like I'm talking to you about now. Yeah, you know, sure. So, and uh, they had said, this is probably... Sh- you know, the detective on the case was like, she's probably just had a friend and she'll probably come home within a couple of days. It's probably not going to be a big deal. We see this all the time. We see this all the time. Uh-huh. She's probably, you know, and, you know, and that may be true. That may be a true statement he made that they see this mm-hmm. all the time. But, you know, Maybe. What? unfortunately, this did not happen. It didn't. She came. Yeah. And, um, Yep. So after that, a couple of a couple of days had gone by, and um, you know, we're still looking. I'm off the week. Uh, I took pretty much took a couple of days off from work at that point, so I couldn't work. I had to go out and I had to had to look. But the other thing that we did was at that point was we pretty much ransacked her room. I mean, she was sharing the room with the girl with with her three sisters so mm-hmm. we had to go through that room with a fine tooth comb I had some friends come over um, to help help gather up anything that you know any papers that were you know written out and stuff that uh, we either thought were hers or were her that we knew were hers um, and we basically went through all of her stuff and um, we found her writings we found her uh we found phone numbers of friends. We found Barry's phone number, all of that stuff. You found that diary? So, found the diary. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me uh, let me ask you, um, being that you've already brought this up, is it around this time, you've already brought it up, but I just want to make sure we put this in, in the in – the, a right point in this timeline that we are establishing. Uh, you'd already mentioned the subway story. When w- – about, of course, going back to skipping school. When did you find out about the story? Was that like right after she went missing, or was this sometime later? A little, a little time, like a couple of days, I believe. A couple days. Later. Okay. Yeah. Um, why don't we? Um, we'll come, maybe we'll come back to that. So you're rans- uh, ransacking a room for good reason. Ransacking usually used in a bad way, but this is in a good way. You're going through the police. You've, you know, they're they've said what they have to say. And let's talk about that diary. Um, what was in it? 
I know it's private. I'm not saying you have to reveal any everything that's in it, but anything that could be relevant to this disappearance might be hel helpful. But, you know, when you saw it, what did you think? And, uh, of course, Barry is mentioned in it. Why don't we talk about that? Well, Barry is mentioned in it. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the thing that she mentions Barry uh, in is, it's really, it's almost as if Barry is like her confidant and not her boyfriend, not somebody that's, um, that's somebody that she's in love with. Mm -hmm. that's in love with her she speaks about him as a confidant he wants to i guess talk to her or uh -huh. he, he does talk to her and she she says uh, uh barry told me today that just follow your heart if you if you can't be with both of them and this was referring to this love triangle that she talks about with this kid matthew and this other uh uh kid his name is DV. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe I've mentioned this this person to you before. Okay. Uh, yeah, and um, so basically, she speaks about him as an advisor to that situation, and really nothing nothing more about about that about Barry. I should say not very much more about Barry. Never in terms of a lover or somebody that did harm to her coerced her or mm. don't speak of him at all in a negative in a negative light or always like kind of like an advisor so the thought thought process of mine was either he was actually trying to help her run away or he was telling her that he was trying to help her run away and did something to her eventually mm -hmm. you know did, well ex to be explicit is running away ever mentioned at all in her diary? Um, she does mention in, she does mention, she, you know, she, she can't stand the going, basically paraphrasing here. Uh, she really can't stand, you know, being at home anymore and mm -hmm. she would like to run away. So oh. she does explicitly say she wants to run away. Okay. In that diary, did she mention any locations or anything? For example, did she ever mention, well, I'd like to go find my biological father, anything like that? She, not in the diary, but in, in, in other writings that she has. Because she, okay. she's written on just like blank pieces of paper, too. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, yeah, she, she, she would like to, you know, she wanted to... She alludes to how she does. Actually, it, 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 there is a line in the diary where she'd mm -hmm. like to find out where her father is and maybe go to college and move away and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe not so unusual for a 14-year-old to talk about moving away and going to college, but the biological father, you know, of course, of course, we know this disappearance is 22 years old and it's still unsolved, but... You know, I, I'm guessing that's something that uh, has been looked into at least once over the last the last 20 years, two years. Did she try to go find her biological father? And we can surely talk about that a little later. But that is mentioned in the diary. If you can remember, uh, what was the last entry in the diary or in these pieces of paper before she went missing? What did she write about? Do you know? Um, she... 
she basically the, the the conclusion of her diary is about how she wants to be with Matthew. Hmm. How wants yeah how, how she wants to really uh, how 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 much of an asshole that I am and how huh. she would she wants to move down to Florida and be with her grandparents because that's where her grandparents were living uh, at the time and she if she had her way she mm. would have moved to Florida lived with her grandparents mm-hmm. and dated guy Matthew. That's, I think, what she ultimately wanted to do. She was confused, though. She had she had a relationship with another guy, like I said, this guy, D.V., and mm-hmm. I believe he was also an adult at the time, like just barely an adult, but an wow. adult. Okay. And she says explicitly she had sex with him. I see. Explicitly. Okay. I, you know, the, the police yeah. read every single word of this diary. Mm-hmm. They got... They got they got a copy of the diary. They, you know, they Good. took the diary. They copied it, and and and, and um, they read every single word of it. And you know, they had the power within their means to find out who this guy DV was, and find out what his age was. Mm-hmm. I don't think they could go arrest him necessarily. They have to have proof that they actually did have sex, and they couldn't go through his writing. You know, just by her writing. No, you can't do that. Yeah, right. They could have investigated that. Because mm-hmm. that was statutory rape. Of course. Is all right. So you saying? Uh, of course, we know that Barry is. I think you say nineteen years old. Uh, this DV guy, uh, once again, just about an adult. Do you even have any idea how the two met? No, I do not. I do not, and I can't. I could never find out from friends. Okay. So his his first name is DV. How would you? Uh, that's uh, is that like a nickname or something? Maybe or? I'm pronoun- maybe I'm. Pronouncing it wrong. It's uh, D. Uh, one second. Take your time. D E I V E. D E I V E. Correct. D V Okay. All right, and he, you, like you said, he is an adult, eighteen years old, mm-hmm. and he lives uh, in Brooklyn, in the area, somewhere. Or is he? In, or is uh, yes, he in Florida no, too? Was, no, no, no. He was in Brooklyn. Okay. Now I have to ask, being that uh, you brought up Matt and going to live with her grandparents, how did she even know Matt if he was in Florida? Because he was in Brooklyn for a long period of time as uh, okay. well. Um, the uh, so <laughs> the connection is we had a next door neighbor, and I was telling you about how how. Helpful. Yeah, very helpful. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, her name was Lourdes. Is, is her name is Lourdes? I should say. Um, she uh, she was married once to a man by the name of Henry, who who when she was living as our neighbor, they had already divorced. Henry married um, Matthew's mom. Okay. And and Matthew when. Henry would come around to see his his sons because he had sons with Mortis. Uh, Matthew would come around also, and Matthew and they they all eventually kind of became friends. Kind yeah, of thing. sure. And, uh, you know, plus there was this you know the, Matthew's mom. His name is Cookie, and she you know she's Spanish, and mm. they they kind of you know have this you know Spanish friendship so to speak. You know, like. Uh, the, 
because Lourdes was uh, Spanish as well, okay. Puerto Rican. So, and I think they may or may have not known each other through other parties or whatever, uh, this, this woman, Cookie and Lourdes. But the point is, is that Guy Henry married Cookie and Cookie is Mar- Matthew's mom. And when Matthew mm-hmm. had come around, all the kids would play together. And right. so that's when they became friends. Is Matt another guy who would have been an adult at the time, 18, or was, she, was he closer to uh, Leon's? Yeah. No, Matthew, Matthew was 15 at the time. Okay. All right. At the time of her disappearance, mm-hmm. they knew each other for a few years before that. So, okay. you know, even younger still. All right. And did you uh, did you know? Uh, doesn't sound like you knew uh, DV, uh, but did you know Matthew? Just once again, being that he would come around next door. Was that yes. his name that you were familiar to? Oh, with okay. So we have this diary, we have these writings. Some different guys are mentioned. She claims that she had sex with one of these guys. It's uh, an adult at the time, but surely the police are not going to go after just uh, after a writing and you know so, something a girl wrote. But it doesn't sound like they investigated it. But let's go back to the police. You know, while you're ransacking a room and everything, I mean, they I I, I suppose they could only put you off for so long. Them saying, well, she's going to come back because we know she didn't come back. Do you happen to know who they questioned over the next weeks at all? Um. Well, they didn't question anyone at that point because they had not gotten much information from us because we hadn't gathered the information yet. Okay. We had just reported it as you know, uh, gone missing, and and that was pretty much it. Uh, several days later is when we got all of the paperwork, the diary, and all of that stuff mm-hmm. to him that we found, to the detective at the time. Okay. So that's when... They took that stuff. They didn't get all of that stuff. We got okay. all of that stuff. Yeah, right. Okay, gotcha. And what did they do with it? They, they they did investigate on it. I mean, they called every single friend in that, and uh, as many as they could, uh, and uh, they basically asked, you know, questions that they would ask, and they really got no answers, they said. Would you say that, once again, the police at the time, I guess maybe we're getting into April now, maybe even May of 1999, at some point did they say to you, uh, you know, these friends of Leanne's are not being helpful, they're not being very forthcoming? Do you think that was the police's general attitude? Yes. I mean, I would have to ask them. They would yeah. just come and tell me that. <laughs> right. I, well, I know you, though, had interactions with them, and you probably had to take for granted that they were going to follow up on that information. And I'm just asking, when you did follow up with them, well, what'd you do? Did you, the police ever say, well, you know what? We've tried to talk to some of these kids, but they aren't saying much. Right. I mean, there there were several key people that they did speak to that Mm -hmm. were basically afraid to to talk. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And I I know you want to get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. uh, There was one girl, her name was Lena, uh, who was just plum scared to death the police the, the the detective on the case even even said it like specifically she is scared to death of us and mm-hmm. she does not want to say anything we're going to try to you know we'll, we'll try mm-hmm. to stay with her to see if, if what we can find out but 
had never panned out. I never really heard back. Okay. And then I asked, and they were like, they just couldn't get any information from her. You know? Did she they? Was, uh, once again, we don't do any theorizing for causes of disappearances on this, but we certainly do go by the police by what they say because they are the people who have to investigate this. They are ultimately responsible. If somebody's going to be put in handcuffs, they're the ones that are going to have to do it. But did they say, the way you remember it, did they ever give you a reason, well, I think she's afraid because? No. None. Okay. Well, not, excuse me, not, they didn't assert, mm. or they didn't ask a question like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess what I'm saying is they're, I guess what I'm saying is they're telling you that, for example, Nina is afraid. They never said, I think she's afraid because because somebody's threatening her because she's afraid she's going to get in trouble because they were involved in you know did they ever give a reason that they thought she was afraid you know nothing you know I don't remember the exact conversation I had mm -hmm. uh, with the detective on that but I nothing stood out like because I would have remembered nothing stood sure out like um, she's afraid because she, she may get killed by somebody mm -hmm. or she may She's, I believe that the conversation was like she's just afraid of the cops, you know, and she's, okay. she's afraid of the situation. Okay. How about, uh, of course, we have to remember something. Uh, all of these uh, kids are underage, and they're all surely living with at least one parent or some guardian or something. Uh, what about their parents? Uh, being that the kids wouldn't say anything, did you ever, it, once again, you or the police ever talk to their parents in those days and weeks after and try to get anything out of them, like saying, hey, you know, I think your daughter knows something and she's not saying anything. Anything like that? Um, I mean, we tried to reach out. We tried, you know, um, people just didn't, you know, they were like, I, I, you know, they don't know. They didn't really know anything. Uh, huh. There was a couple of people that, uh, you know, uh, would even talk, only a few, and, and they just didn't, they didn't know anything, and they didn't think that their kid was hiding anything, you know? Okay. All right. So the kids, you know, it sounds at least one of them's fearful of the police. Uh, the listeners know how I feel about that stuff, that uh, I, I tend to doubt most of it, but that's me. Um you know, uh, well, you know, when people are afraid of things, uh, I think that's really like kind of overblown. Uh, you know, when you know when people say, "Well, somebody's not coming forward because they're afraid," it's not usually because they're afraid of something. It usually is usually means because they're involved or they do have knowledge of something. They're not afraid of the police. They're afraid of getting in trouble. So, if anything, and then I. I usually dismiss ideas of violence. Well, if I talk, somebody's going to hurt me. There's no rec. I know it's popular in, in TV shows and movies, but in real life, that happens very, very rarely. Maybe, maybe in the mafia, but not in, in the rest of the world, once again, my experience. That's why when it comes to fear and everything, I'm not sure what to think of that. But, um, okay, so parents are kind of uh, sticking up for their kids. Some of these kids go to school with Leanne, and they didn't even tell you on the day of her disappearance that she didn't show up for school. But we do have these um, these call records uh, that you were able to get. Uh, how did you get them? When did you get them? Did you ha just happen upon them that showed that the night before Leanne went missing, she was talking to Barry? Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, there were there were a few phone calls. 
during the early morning hours uh, that were to the numbers that we had for Barry. Um, the, the, they didn't really last very long, but uh, they were there, and it was the night before she disappeared. And so um, mm -hmm. the police still have those those phone records. I could not get a copy of them. They, they, they were able to make a copy of uh, her diary and all of this other stuff, but then they had said that they, that their, you know, copier had broken at that time and they couldn't copy it for me at that moment. And then all of a sudden, you know, some time had gone by and uh, the records were, the records were ultimately shipped off to uh, one police plaza. Uh -huh. And, and I, I don't have those phone records and I've been asking for those phone records. Current detective on the case I've tried to reach out several times. I don't even mm. get a response. Um, All right. So uh, as I like to illustrate in many other uh, disappearances, it's you or somebody else who is paying for the bill for this phone that you had. And I, I you know, maybe 1999. I don't know if any of you had cell phones, but I think this is a house phone. And then the police won't even see your own bill that you paid for. Which it sounds, no, no, no. It sounds a little outrageous. Yeah, you know. To... No, 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 no. Uh, uh, they looked at it. Mm -hmm. They saw it. They have it in their possession. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. evidence in the case, I guess. But mm -hmm. there, you know, it's, it's just okay. something else that they can't seem to follow up on. Yeah. You know. Okay. This is uh, unfortunately this is quite common. It seems uh, more relevant when we start talking about disappearances with cell phones, but. Um, I guess what I'm saying is oftentimes with disappearances, like maybe since 2005 to the present when people really started using cell phones more regularly, it's amazing how the the police will get cell phone records and then won't show the cell phone records to the family, even though the family was paying the bill. And the family maybe well, has this problem or that problem of getting them. It, it, that's, that's what I'm kind of bringing up here. No, but let me, let me, let me go on to say that I'm the one that got this, the records. Yeah. I, I basically mm. got in touch with 9X at the time and said I would like a copy of my phone records for the last month, month and a half, whatever, mm -hmm. as you know, far back as you can go. And they they mailed them to me. They actually mailed them in an envelope. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Um, it's just unfortunate that the police would not give those records back to you. Well, I guess I, I, I guess I what I'm saying. Think, I think I can still get them back. All right, well, let's hope. But I'm gonna, and I'm trying to work on that. All right, great. But let's hope. Uh, when you looked at those records, how often would you say that Leanne was speaking to Barry? And I'm guessing these conversations were happening without your knowledge. But uh, how often were they happening? Um, I would say maybe a couple of times a week or something. You know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of times a week, or I mean, on on average, it would be some more here, less mm. there, stuff like that. Okay. Being that this uh, call uh, was early in the morning, and I'm guessing when you say the night before, you're meaning the morning of the very early morning of the day she disappeared, March 18th. So very early yes. in the morning, like 1 a.m. or something like that. Yeah, I believe there was one around around. 12:30 a.m. 
Okay. One a.m. and then another, I believe, uh, later on. Not that I believe it. Later on in the morning, around five-ish. Okay. Uh, once again, I realize you haven't seen these records for a while, but would you say that was common for her to talk to him at that time? Hell no. No. Okay. Well, you know what? I got. I got to. I got to pull back on that one. I don't know mm-hmm. if she was speaking calls at nighttime. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I didn't know that time. Right. So maybe I didn't know the other. Times. Okay. I guess what I'm looking for, Alan, is that, you know, could it have been if you know, of course, when she went missing, just you know, nine, eight, seven, eight, nine hours after these calls with Barry, and what I'm trying to, you know, was this unique? Was it unique that the the first time that she speaks to him very early in the morning is then the the time that she went missing? I'm trying to see yeah. if there might have been a connection like that. That's why yes. I asked that question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, you started your, I, I even have it in the, the notes here, calling it your own, I call it your own investigation. Uh, what did you do? How, when did you start doing this, um, you know, this car service, brewing transportation? Let's talk about those things now. The police aren't having a lot of luck, and you do some things. When did you d- decide to do this? How did you decide to do this? Um, well, after I had gotten a hold of the records, I had given it, I had given the police just a little bit of time to get back to me. Uh, and at that point I had just planned on, uh, going and visiting this location. I mean, it, it was, it, I was the one that found this location through a reverse lookup online, um, to find the, uh, you know, to find where those numbers traced back to. I okay. couldn't find the cell number, but we had his work number as well. And so that traced back to Bruins, and um, that's how I stumbled upon it. And, um, and what happened when you went there? Um, I, it was like, like a fortress. Uh, you know, it was basically a bus depot, and they, uh, you know, the, I, I tried to, you know, knock on the door and all of that stuff, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't gain entry or get anybody to come and, you know, talk to me. But I did call the number and I got this uh, guy, Eddie, mm-hmm. on phone, and he basically told me that Barry worked for the bus company washing buses and that uh, he had left to go out west, Arizona, maybe California that time Mm -hmm. and he had just left and what date do you think this was that you called uh brewing uh transportation roughly uh probably roughly uh maybe two weeks after three weeks after uh all right so maybe early april 1999 yeah okay and so uh just to maybe sum this up so you had this uh number and it turns out that Barry, who we've been talking about quite a bit now, uh, with the watch being mentioned in the diary, a confidant um, for Leanne, he works at the same place. Yes, correct. Okay. And you spoke to this guy on the phone. And did you ask this guy if he ever saw Leanne there anytime? Your daughter? Did he even yes. know that she was missing? What, do you, what, what was that conversation like? He said, no, I, I never saw, because I couldn't, because it was on the phone, I couldn't show him a picture of her, mm-hmm. but um, 
you know, I, I had asked, you know, if there was a, you know, a girl there approximately 14 years old uh, with a dark complexion uh, th- uh, that might be hanging out with Barry at, at the bus depot. He said, no, I never saw anybody like that. Okay. Um, you know, basically not either not saying anything or not mm. really didn't hear. Okay. You know? And you would think a 14-year-old hanging around a bus depot would certainly stick out. You know, yeah, so uh, he either saw or he didn't. If he saw her, then he's lying, or he just really, really didn't see her and she was never there. But what about this this number for this car service um, that popped up, I guess, on the day of her disappearance? Um, The car service is called Strictly Car Service, and they were really close by. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know if, I believe she was, she walked over to the car because it was so close mm-hmm. to, the, to the house. She had to have walked over there because I interviewed the dispatcher there and he said that, yeah, we put a, a girl with your daughter's description in a car and she said, uh, he said that, uh, the person that called said that she, they would be paid when she got there. And she had been taken to a location in East New York. Uh, and he, the way he said it to me was Alabama and Liberty Avenue. And, and, and that's where Bruin Transportation is. And that's where Bruin Transportation is, yes. Okay. Uh, did you get to specifically talk to the driver who took her that day? I did not. Hmm. I well, never spoke to the driver, according to what, okay. according to the police. They interviewed the driver. They interviewed the dispatcher hmm. that I know of, uh, and it was, uh, you know, just pretty much the same, the same story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me, uh, Alan, just let me, allow me to take a moment to kind of sum this up for the listeners. So it seems. That on the morning that Leanne was supposed to be walking to school on March 18th, 1999, that she went to this car service and they drove her to the intersection of um, Alabama and Liberty Bo- Liberty Boulevard. In- Please. Uh, Liberty Avenue and Alabama Avenue. Avenue. Okay. Alabama Avenue, Liberty Avenue. And dropped her off, and someone there, of course, I don't think she would have money to pay for that. Somebody there was waiting to pay for that trip. That's right. Okay. And that was a pretty that would that would have been a pretty expensive car ride too, because mm-hmm. that's far away from the house. Uh, how far? I'll, I'll probably do a map. I'll probably do a map for this uh, this particular episode that will be on YouTube. But how long of a ride is that? Uh, especially in the morning, like during rush hour, an hour. Wow, that would be expensive. Okay, yeah. so but somebody was waiting there, and I guess had the money because surely the driver wouldn't have left without it. Do you know if the driver could identify Barry as the person who paid for it? I, I did that ever did come not, up? No. Okay. That didn't. That, no. 
Okay. But surely, like you said, he was working at Bruin Transportation, which I have as the address at the time was 300 Liberty Boulevard. And I don't think it's a coincidence that 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 place and this intersection are very close, you know, are connected to Barry. Yes, it's 300 Liberty Avenue. Yeah, three. I keep saying Boulevard. 300 Liberty Avenue is where Bruin Transportation was, and she was taken to the intersection of Liberty Avenue and Alabama Avenue. Correct. Okay, and I guess I'm just showing that I've only been to New York City once. All right, so um, it would then make sense, no proof of this, but it would make sense then that it was Barry who was the one that paid for it, being that this intersection is so close to where he worked. Yes. Okay. If, if she didn't pay them, then yeah. I mean, yeah. Which you know, I don't believe she did. They paid them. Uh, just it being that you are a, a New Yorker uh, on a regular car service, the way you understand it, how much would that have cost in 1999, roughly? Twenty bucks. Okay. Well, twenty-five. I was actually thinking it was going to be more than that, but okay. I, I'm not the. Uh, I you know I don't know much about this, but okay. I mean, maybe, I, you know, that's why I'm not, you know, I wasn't, mm. I, I wasn't taking car services around. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got gotcha. you. Especially not, especially not for that distance. So, right. Okay. So, um, she goes there and, um, that's the last, as far as information goes, any sort of phone calls or anything, that's really the last place any data shows she was. Yes. Okay. And I, I, I should have known amount that they paid i should have known Mm -hmm. that's all right that's all right i'm just just questions that i ask just want to make sure i'm being as thorough as possible because i think what we would be able to say is that you know if the you know once again leanne was not is not my daughter but 20 bucks maybe a 14 year old might have 20 bucks on her but if it was a hundred then surely somebody an adult was paying for it wherever she ended up I guess that's that's the point. She could have, if it was twenty bucks, she could have gotten to that point, given the the driver a twenty plus a tip, and just walked off. Whereas if it's a hundred bucks, then surely an adult was there, and it would be interesting to know the description of that adult. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, did the police track down Barry and, and talk to him about all of this and whether he saw her that morning? What did he have to say? I'm sorry. Ask that question again. Mike. Sure. Uh, no problem at all. What did Barry have to say about all of this? Being that they went and talked to all of uh, Leanne's friends, some of their parents, did they speak to Barry? Did they track him down? Yes, they did. They did. And they, and they, they did inve- uh, investigate Barry. They questioned him. Um, he, I don't know the details of that interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't share that with me, but um, he did say that I believe he said that he may have met her once, but he had no idea where she was or did not see her, that she disappeared, uh, none of that. Once again, I realize you weren't there, and, I, and all of us uh, understand this, and it's unfortunate sometimes when the police don't open up a little bit more, but do you have any knowledge if the police asked him, revealed to him that they knew that he talked to her on that morning, anything like that? Did the, did the police reveal to yeah the well police? being being that there was proof that Barry had talked to her earlier that morning at like 1am did the police ever ask 
him about that. Um, yeah, well, yes. And he, um, he basically pretty much denies. Huh? Yeah. He just denies talking to her. And like you just already said, he just says, well, I just met her once. Even though we know that, you know, there's proof that he bought her a watch and that he's mentioned in her diary and all those other things. That's an interesting answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have to remember Barry was roughly 19 years old uh, at the time, uh, but it just doesn't seem the police uh, got very far with him, you know, sticking to that story. Um now, I do have it in my notes here, uh, something about, I don't know if we want to mention her name, but did he get married at 19 or right around that time or shortly after that? Or well, did he have a girlfriend or something talk- like that? We've been talking strictly about uh, Barry's interview with the police, but what we didn't talk about was the other things related to Barry, uh, meaning uh, he also had a girlfriend. Her name was Leticia. Okay. Leticia. Leticia. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I believe they were boyfriend and girlfriend. She looked like she was around the same age as my daughter. Huh. Although uh, I believe maybe a little older. Uh, I yeah. So um, she she looked a lot like my daughter. She really did. And there was a claim. See, here's the thing. Please. They had had several interviews with the police. He had several interviews with the police. Letitia and him had several interviews with the police. Okay. From what I understand from what the police said to us, that Letitia happened to be in that area that morning. And it was Letitia that needed to get a ride back to Bruins Bus Company that morning. And not my daughter. Well, they didn't say not my daughter, but they said that it was Letitia that had actually gotten the car service to go back to East New York. Now, what the hell was Letitia doing in my area needing to go back at that time? I mean, how does that make any sense? All right. So what we're saying is we just went through this a little bit earlier where there was proof that uh, Leanne called or went to this car service or called this car service and went over there and got a ride. But the police are saying and speaking to Letitia and Barry is that it wasn't Leanne. It was actually Letitia who kind of looked like Leanne. That's right. That's right. And it's becomes then plausible to think that maybe the car service dispatcher thought I was referring to Letitia as opposed to Leanne or not, not, not thinking that mm-hmm. it would be Letitia, but cause he doesn't know Letitia either. But if it was actually Letitia, she would fit Leanne's description. Mm-hmm. In your, in your opinion, uh, have you ever seen a picture of Letitia? Yes, I have. Would you say that she looks like Leanne? Your opinion? There's a small similarity, but quite honestly, the skin color is different. Leanne's skin color is darker. And I showed a picture directly to the dispatcher. Mm-hmm. I see. And 
so he said, yeah, that, that you know, she, you know, uh, the girl that looks like that, yeah. Because I, I don't know if he really remembered her exactly mm-hmm. because he sees a lot of people. But the thing is, is that, you know, her, her complexion is darker. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think at the time she had a, uh, Letitia had a suntan because it was March, you know. Mm-hmm. That is one interesting story, a little bizarre. But the thing is, the reason you even went to the car service in the first place is because Leanne had called the place, right? Yes, and I was also mm-hmm. I was also just interviewing everyone in the area. Yeah. As well. That was a business in the local in the vicinity yeah. there. So I wanted to go to every every place and just show a picture and you know, if you have seen her, what did you see? Right. Wow, that is that is some coincidence, <laughs> Alan. I'm sure you. Be, I know you've been living with that coincidence for 22 years now. That Leanne calls this car service. You go over there. They verify it. But then afterwards, when the police are speaking to Letitia and Barry several times, they claim it was actually Letitia who was at this car service and took the trip that Leanne supposedly took. I get the feeling that the police were convinced that it was Letitia and not Leanne, and mm-hmm. and that that that's why they, they you know mm-hmm. I don't know that they can't go much further with Barry. That's one of the things. Yeah. But the other thing, and this is tell me if tell me if this sounds suspicious or not. You know, he at one point got himself a lawyer, and basically got the lawyer to get the police off of his back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to admit, being that I was just sitting in court for a few days, I, I you know, on top of my experience doing this program, I, I really don't sometimes know what to make of that. Um, certainly, I think the public, when they hear about people getting lawyers, they get very suspicious. But I also can tell you, on the other hand, doing this for five years, is sometimes people get lawyers because... Uh, they keep telling the same story to the same people over and over and over, and it, it gets to the point where you know if you're why keep asking me if you don't believe me? It feels like harassment, so stop doing it. I'm getting a lawyer, so it just once again it determines it depends on the circumstances. In these particular circumstances, once again we don't do theories on the program, but if he's getting a lawyer based on the fact that. The, the police are looking into this car service story, then that seems a little unusual to me, especially since we know that Leanne called the car service. You went there, you gave him her picture, and they said, yes, that's Leanne. But he says, no, 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 it was it was my my uh, girlfriend slash fiance. Yeah. Now, the um, the thing about it is that, you know, like it's, like you say, there are there are there are phone records that show that calls were made. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that couldn't be more evidence to be able to legally lean on him more. You know, um, I'm not a lawyer, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know too much about uh, the way it works. But I mean, if he's if he's if he's lying, let's just say, mm-hmm. if he's lying, if he's suspected of lying, does, could that bring about criminal charges on him? Well, yeah, lying to the police uh, certainly is a crime. 
that's that's certainly true. The issue though is uh is it a lie? <laughs> that's that's the tough thing to determine. Um sounds like it's me, but I wasn't there. Um you know, you're telling me what you know, it sounds like a very believable story, you know, given that there was her calling this car service and everything and you go over there. I mean, what other things do you need? I think that if you were able to back it up, once again, like I brought up before, well, when the woman or young woman or girl got to where she was going, who paid for it? Um, and did the driver never write down the passenger's name? Was it, was it Leanne? Was it Letitia? Was it Jane Doe? Who was it? Don't they do things like this? This was things that this drives me nuts because there's a lot of disappearances like this where these are things that should have been done at the time and weren't. This should, should surely be cleared up if they ever wrote down, you know, the, the, the passenger's name, which I think they usually do. Yeah. You know, how, you know, I don't, but that's me. Um, all right, so we have this very uh, confusing story. Was it Letitia? Was it Leanne? Was it either of them who ended up getting this trip over to very close to where Barry worked? All right. Um, now, we've talked about this several times, so um, let's move on to this. All of these friends, and you've stated uh, that they were not helpful. At the time, of course, uh, a lot of them were teenagers at the time, and maybe some of them even didn't go to the same school that Leanne did. But I know over the years, you have tried to talk to them once they became adults. Of course, if they were 14 at the time, it's 22 years. Now they are in their mid-30s. Um, let's talk about that topic, uh, being that we said we were going to talk about it earlier. Let's talk about it right now. All of these friends and your interactions with them in the 21st century. So there, you know, uh, it took several years of reaching, trying to reach out to get a response from people. Um, but we had recalled, uh, when I say recall, you know, called people again that were on that list of her friends um, several times. In many cases, got no answers or voicemail, left the voicemail and... Um, just never got a call back, a response back. Um, I, later on, when my daughters became adults, I actually had them doing it because maybe, maybe they'd feel better if yeah. they heard a girl's voice. I think that's a good, that's a good plan. Yeah. And, uh, so that was attempted, to, to no avail, but there were a few that we have gotten a hold of since then, um, the first to speak about was a girl by the name of Vanessa, who um, um, saw an entry that my daughter Nicole had put on the Charlie Project, and reached, uh, you know, had uh, had commented on what my daughter had commented. You know, it's been so many years now; she's missing, and so forth. And she was just, you know, kind of like speaking out on the Charlie mm -hmm. Project, okay. and. Vanessa saw her entry in there. I don't know how. I didn't ask Vanessa why she was looking on there, but the thing is, is that um, she had, uh, you know, 
she had been uh, she had left her email on there, and um, she was able to be we, we were able to get in contact with her. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, she didn't really have anything tangible to say uh, uh, about it, but uh, other than to know that she knew Leanne and that she uh, she knew that you know Leanne was going through stuff at the time. She felt that she was it was there were things troubling her that there was stuff going on in the house and all of that. So Leanne, I believe, spoke to friends, some friends, about things that were happening in the house. You know, mm-hmm. so Vanessa was proof that that of that. And um, mm-hmm. uh, so that was one of the people that we were able to get hold of. Uh, you know, I, I have it in my notes. I have to ask: Did Vanessa at some point? say that at one point when she was underage that she dated Barry? Yes. So she had, uh, she had said that she, she had said basically that she had uh, come into contact with, with Barry uh, through some friend, girlfriends of hers. Uh, and they had gotten kind of, they had started a little relationship. Now that really, threw the hell out of me because I'm like, okay, so Vanessa now mm-hmm. is, is my daughter's age and now she's doing something with this guy, Barry. Mm-hmm. So now I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe Barry was more than a confidant or maybe till the end, Barry was a confidant, but maybe he, did something to her sexually or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was never in her writings about it, like I say, and she never in her writings alluded to the fact that she was either scared of him or that he ever did anything to her. Um, but Vanessa goes on to say that, um, that uh, she, you know, she had this relationship with him uh, for a short period of time. When her parents found out about it, she, she had to cut it off immediately. That there was yeah. no way that you could keep that going. Okay. Uh, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to ask, Vanessa, would she have been going to the same school as Leanne? Were they in the same class? Would she have been, a, have been in a position to know that Leanne did not show up that day for school? She, you know what? No, she was, I believe, in another class. She didn't... She she had met Leanne and she said that she wasn't really friends with Leanne for that long. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it was just like you know they they had met in school, but it wasn't in class. It was you know mm. it, she didn't really say exactly where she met her. I didn't ask, but uh, okay. uh, th- everything was over. I never even talked to her. Everything was over email. Okay, through email. Okay, well that's good because you have a record of it then. Yes. All right, you have it all saved. So that's almost even better than talking on the phone. Okay. Um, all right. So Vanessa saying she had, did she ever offer up her own theory as to what happened to Leanne in those emails? She didn't, she didn't offer up a theory, but she said that, you know, now that I think of it, um, she, she could have possibly, uh, Barry could have possibly been someone that might have been prowling 
for for girls. Mm-hmm. Through the giving all those girls watches, for example. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Mm-hmm. She didn't know that necessarily. Okay. Uh, but he, that's the way he came off to okay. her. Like after a few years later, she said. Yeah. Thinking back on it. Okay. Now, all right. So that's Vanessa. Now there's this uh, other girl. Uh, she's a woman now, of course. Her name is Marilyn. She's been mentioned several times. She didn't want to talk. But uh, I have it in my notes that even though she hasn't spoken over the years, you have talked to her mother. What can you detail in that conversation? Um, just a, a rehashment of what had happened at the party. Uh, and nothing really happened at the party, but, you know, the fact that he's giving out these watches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had come along like Prince Charming, you know, uh, out of nowhere, you know, and uh, I mean, he was invited to the thing, I believe it was, but uh, he, uh, you know, he had showed up there and, you know, was acting kind of like Mr. Big Shot, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. She also said that um, she would have Marilyn call, and I had, you know, I had told her, I said, it's it's really important that we talk to her, because really, I never talked to, talked to Marilyn even directly after that. Mm-hmm. Incident. She she never really wanted to talk to me. I I have a feeling. Look, you know, there's. A, I would say that almost that most of her friends don't know anything. Some of her friends just know something. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of her friends are directly involved with it. I don't right. think. No. Right. Um, I mean, I don't even know what they would be directly involved with other than her disappearance or knowing where she disappeared Mm -hmm. to. But the point being is that I think either Marilyn or this other girl, Lena, may know a little something more than Mm -hmm. everyone else does. Right. And they're just holding back. Marilyn refuses to call us back. She refuses to talk to us. She refuses to answer her phone. She will not talk to us. I find that very strange because those two, they weren't, I wouldn't say that they were best buds at the end there towards the, towards the time that she disappeared, Mm. but I would say that they were previous to that. I would, I would say like before her mom took the stroke, they were really close. Well, it's especially, uh, and, and I, I know who, I know Marilyn, I, uh, we're not mentioning her last name, we're not mentioning Vanessa's or Lena's or anybody's last names uh, in this interview, but uh, especially considering that Marilyn, of course, is a grown woman, she is married, she has children, she has a Facebook page and everything else, and uh, that she can't call you back, she's a mother herself, I'm sure uh, it would be her worst thing in her life if she were to lose one of her kids to a disappearance, and she's not calling you back. Of course, what bothers me is, uh, of course, when this topic came up early in the interview, is that some of these friends were in a position, maybe not some of these that we've talked by, spoken by name, but other, you know, friends that you encountered back in March of 1999, they were in a position when you, you know, before you even know that that Leanne didn't go to school, it was just the fact that she didn't come home from school that some of these friends were in a position to know that and didn't tell you that she was not even in school that day. That's what gets to me. Um, 
you know, had they come forward, these these friends in a position who would have known that she wasn't in school to say, well, you know what? Uh, sorry to tell you, but she wasn't in school today. We don't know where she is. Then that would be different. But being that some of these friends couldn't own up that she wasn't even in school that day, that's disgusting. Once again, I'm not believing that any 14-year-old necessarily had anything to do with this disappearance, but a concerned parent shows up and they're all tight-lipped. 100%. Yeah, that 100%. is that is disgusting. So I that's can't, I cannot I cannot believe that. Yeah. That uh, no one would say anything. I, I I I get it and and the listeners know, I don't have any kids, so I'm not uh I've never had to uh parent a kid through teenage years or anything of course i was a teenager at one time but um i'm not in a position to tell people how to do their parenting but it just seems friends and friends you know you would be concerned even if you thought something you guys were going to get in trouble for maybe maybe not that day but maybe a couple days down the road i you know just be honest you know what i knew she didn't go to school this that day but they've none of them have ever done that uh, you have an, I have another friend's name here. Uh, not a lot here on it, but an, a friend, Jennifer. Um, that. Okay. Yeah. What uh, What did she have to say? There's. I guess there's a reason I have it here, but I will just leave that up to you. Her uh, friend, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer is mentioned in Leanne's writings uh, about. Um, that to talk to, it, it says in, in Leanne's writings talk to Lena if she walks away from you she knows something that's what that was the message that was in a, 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 a letter a, a, a document a piece of paper that um, that was uh, that we had that we've had for a while Quite honestly, I don't know where that piece of paper actually came from. This was just something we found in the house. Say that again, please, uh, just so I can make uh, make sure I understand this a little better. Please say that again. That Jennifer is mentioned on a piece of paper, like as like she signed the piece of paper that says that said that uh, if you talk to Lena and she walks away, she knows something. Uh, huh. Talk, yeah. And you have no idea. Uh, do you, you have no idea where this piece of paper come from? Could it have come? I don't know, I don't, yeah, I don't know where that actual piece of paper came from, and I, I don't even know why it would. I, I, don't, I don't know. And of course, we've already talked about Lena. Lena was the one who said she was too scared to talk. Uh. Lena was the one that was too scared to talk. And yeah. quite honestly, between, you know, searching her online today uh, and matching her previous residences up with, mm. you know, where she was back then. Mm-hmm. And she was only a minor back then. But yeah. we, it matches. It matches. The, the, the Lena we tried to contact recently vehemently denies even knowing Leanne. And when my daughter huh. tried, when my daughter tried to reach out to her on, on Facebook, she blocked her. After that, now, I mean, look, my daughter just got hacked, quite honestly. So uh-huh. uh, on her Facebook account, okay. 
And so, because she answered somebody, yeah. she shouldn't have answered. Yep, that so happens. I can, I can understand Lena's trepidation as far as that's concerned, but we're talking about Leanne. So, how many hackers are going to really know? So, come on, say, okay, well, give me your phone number and I'll call you, or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. No. You know, I mean, no attempt to say anything. Not just, I mean, I mean, at least we know that Marilyn uh, at least admits knowing, and Vanessa and and uh, Jennifer and Lena, it, it, or not Lena, but um, Marilyn, Jennifer. Vanessa, and Jennifer at least acknowledge knowingly, and but uh, Jennifer or Lena's just going out, you know, and saying, nope, now these days, nope, I don't know who she is. Oh, absolutely. And she, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, one of my. Uh, uh, one of our friends had caught them uh, cutting on the train. Um, yes, right. Yeah, we never did come back to that. This whole subway sighting. Yes. Well, she believed, that friend believes that Lena was with her that day. One of the girls she was with mm-hmm. was Lena. And what date would that have been? Uh, a, a weekday. Uh, during school, um, okay. we were talking about, she was talking about a, a, at least a couple of weeks before okay. she, she disappeared. Okay. Yeah, because she was, she had, you know, after, after her disappearance, you know, we had talked and she was like, yeah, I did, I, Leanne was cutting, it seems like Leanne was cutting because I had saw her on the train, but we had, mm. She didn't tell me about. She didn't tell us about it before. Then she didn't mention to us about it before. Then I'm like, Jackie, why didn't you say something? Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't have an answer for me. Okay. I think she just didn't want to rat my daughter out, and it would just be okay, so to speak. I don't know. She was an adult with these, kids. These, you know, I know this is like a 21st century thing, but these sound like a bunch of mean girls. Well, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Jackie because Jackie's always yeah, but the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Jackie is was an adult. She was yeah. our friend. Not, okay. Not yeah. But these uh, girls that we mentioned once again, I'm probably going just so you know, Alan. I'm probably going to take her last name out so Lena cannot be totally identified. All right, so I'm going to probably knock that out so she doesn't get harassed. But Lena, Marilyn, Vanessa, and Jennifer. That's a group. It's yeah. cer- it's certainly a group. Certainly. And again, I, like I said, I'm not accusing them of. Mm-hmm. I'm saying they know they know something. That's yeah. it. Okay. They're not shipwrecked. Okay. Let's move on to this. Being that Leanne had expressed in her writings, maybe trying to reconnect with her biological father and her and her and her culture uh, from her, her uh, from her ethnicity. Uh, was that ever looked into? Um, did they track down her biological father? You know, I just have to ask. Any any investigation into that at all? Yes, there was an investigation, and uh, it turns out that her father was killed uh, on the side of the road by a car while he was walking, and uh, in Nebraska. Um, uh, he was known to uh, be a 
a drinker and uh, mm-hmm. and that's that was part of the uh, that was part of the reason why he was abusive to Robin uh, you know early on when they were together um, and the police the detective on the case uh, told me directly he's dead he's deceased he was you know involved in a car accident and he, he's deceased and um, they had uh, that was it at that mm-hmm. point they they may have made some calls, but there was no nothing further that they could tell me on in terms of okay. that that family out there. Was this before or after she went missing? No, after. After. after okay. Because we never we never knew that mm-hmm. her father was killed. Okay. And but we should be clear. This was in what? What did you say? Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma. Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln, Nebraska. Well, so. Scott's Bluff, Nebraska. So if she was looking to reconnect with her biological family, she would have had to have gone halfway across the United States somehow as a 14-year-old. That's correct. Okay. Well, okay. Which at that time may not have been impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just depends if she, uh, if she had the money. Uh, I would hate to think about a 14-year-old hitchhiking. But you well, know, I mean, the other thing comes to mind that Barry did work at a bus depot. Mm-hmm. There's an idea. But the thing is, though, buses like that. I mean, I don't really know what I'm talking about here, but buses like that don't go from their depots where they get washed and, ma- and maintained straight to their, you know, yeah. their destinations. Don't they go to like a bus station like Port Authority or something right. like that? Port Authority is a big bus station in New York City. Yes. So I would imagine that's where a person would have to get on a bus to go mm-hmm. to places around the country. Right. You know? Yep, I agree with you. You know. Uh, over the last, I mean, I, I, we don't uh, want to reveal too much of the uh, work that you continue to do trying to figure out uh, where Leanne is, Alan, but... Um, just as an example, uh, what's your interaction been like with the NYPD? When was the last time you spoke to them uh, about Leanne's disappearance? The last time I spoke to them was uh, around, um, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Detective O'Neill came to my house. Wow. And uh, Well, I asked him to. Okay. I asked, I, I asked him to come to my house and uh, talk with me about this case because he was he had just started on this case around that time okay and so I would I told him I would like to brief you on on everything I'd like to meet you and uh, he actually came out uh, to meet me he came out to uh, uh, he I believe he went to my daughter's house in lived, at that point I lived in Greenpoint Brooklyn which is northern Brooklyn and uh, my my daughter Nicole was living in um, was living in southern Brooklyn uh, in Cheapside Bay, and he went to go see her and and my ex wife, and he also went to the Bronx, which wow. was the place where my where my uh, my other daughter Danielle was living with me. She was living in the Bronx at the time, mm-hmm. and so he he went around the city to wow. interview us all. You know, that's better than most. That's you know, especially for a disappearance that would have been uh, nineteen years old at the time. So that's I mean, better than, I, you know. I mean, if it wasn't 
I, I don't know if I if 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 I hadn't asked him, you know, yeah, to talk well, to him, I don't know if he would have done anything. Probably not. Right. But at least you asked him, and he did so. Um, well, the previous detective, the previous detective to him, also name is Monty Velez. Same thing, you know, mm. came see us. He actually did quite a bit. Uh, you know, he went and looked into things pertaining to Barry and Matthew. Mm-hmm. Also came up with nothing. Uh, you know, he was, and I, I, you know, I recall him really saying, you know, I'm really studying these, you know, have all the evidence that we have, yeah. all the paperwork, everything, trying to follow up on everything, talking to friends, trying to get a hold of friends, not being able to get a hold of friends. Like this detective Monty Velez almost seems like he did most of did the most work of all the detectives on the case, and there's been a few. Okay. Now, the thing is about the New York Police Department, they actually have a missing persons unit, right? That's correct. So these are actually missing persons. These these are what these people do. Yep. Right, in contrast to most police departments in the United States that have no person missing persons unit, and so you're usually talking to a... A person who is really actually only does murders and, and, and other things. So it's good to talk to people who have experience speaking in disappearance lingo and, so and I'd like language. To, I'd like to actually talk a little bit about that uh, either now or later uh, in terms of other police, other types of uh, investigators and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, well, I could, uh, cer- I could certainly do that with you. I don't know if it would be appropriate for this interview, but I certainly could do that. With you, Alan, you know, because I do have well, some experience I, in that yeah. area. Well, I mean, really, it's it's. I could summarize. I can summarize what I have to say in in, in, in just a, a couple of sentences. But go ahead. Basically, we've we've come into contact with police that we've known through you know through family or friends, mm. friends mainly, and in pretty much every case, any police officer, a cop that may have come into contact with this case has dropped off the face of the earth and not contacted us back. Uh, But an example would be uh, a friend of ours, a friend of Leanne's actually, a friend of hers, Christina, Christina, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Um, So her, I forget what what relative it is, like a cousin's cousin or whatever, uh, but He's a detective uh, for cold cases, cold murder cases with the NYPD. Okay. And I spoke with him once, and he said he would go looking into this. He will definitely look into it, and he will get back with me. You know, I I, I spoke to him for a little bit. He's a busy guy. I get that. Um, But he's like, uh, you know, yeah, I'm a cold case guy. uh, You know, just, you know. Let's uh, let's get together. Mm-hmm. So we, we I had spoken to him for a few minutes, not a formal interview. And the next thing I know, he never called me back again. I tried calling him, didn't answer the phone, and never called me back again. So uh, got in touch with Christina. You know, she she couldn't tell me anything. I believe it's because I believe now I'm speculating, but to leave cops are not supposed to touch other cops' cases. I don't know. Uh, I would, you know, I'll tell you, Alan, and once again, this is part of the interview and everybody's listening to this. 
I would say that I would have had to have been there uh, to see that interaction you had with him. Uh, you know, the tough thing about disappearances is that most of the time, if a per, what I mainly run into with the program is that rarely do we talk about a disappearance that happens in an area where they actually have missing persons investigators. If it's not New York City, if it's not LA, if it's not Houston, some of the biggest police departments in the United States, these other, all these other departments don't have missing persons units where all these people do is that. And I think the problem is that, uh, yes, this guy might be a cold case investigator, but it's probably for murders, and he's used to dealing with a body and forensics and a murder weapon and all these other things. Whereas with disappearances, you have none of that, ever. And uh, there, I think there is a little bit of ego and pride that goes into that, that they, they maybe do look into it and they say, oh, wait, wait, this is way too hard. I'm not doing this. Because, once again, I'm not saying this. For example, uh, a guy who's been on the program, Tad Tobias, who is a specialist in no-body murder cases, where it's certain that a murder happened, but there's no body. He will tell, you know, so he kind of specializes in disappearances, too. He will tell you, missing persons cases are the toughest of the toughest of the toughest of the toughest of the toughest. They are way more difficult in, than murders. Why? Because there's not even any proof that a crime was committed. And so... There's a, a that's why a lot of investigators stay away from disappearances is because I, I'm I know I'm going to offend a lot of people on this, but murders are just easier. They just are. So well, the, thing, the thing that I've been told that I've been told by several police, uh, by several cops, is that when you have a murder case, you can obtain warrants to get information. Mm -hmm. Right. Without that, you got nothing. That's well. That's certainly true. Yeah. That's certainly true. I mean, you can get warrants in disappearance cases, but once again, it depends on the it depends on the disappearance. Right. Right. In Leanne's hindsight, twenty twenty, as we've kind of talked about in this interview, did they try to get the name of the 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 young woman slash girl who was in the car service? Did they do that? It doesn't sound like they did. They certainly could have gotten a warrant to get that. If there was a big question regarding that, who are you talking about, Letitia? Yeah, Letitia, or was it Letitia? Was it Leanne? They interviewed. They interviewed Letitia. They got. They got. They got. Yeah, and she. Them. And what did she say? She said she was the one. Yeah. Well, that doesn't mean that's the truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? That doesn't mean it's the truth. So you go to the car service, and you give them their pictures. And you do this, or you get a warrant. If they don't want to reveal their books and how this ride even came in, you get a warrant to show how they even knew to drive this woman, or this female, I should say, from point A to point B. You could get a warrant for that. They didn't do it. Right. So I agree with them that sometimes you can't even get a warrant. and think, Well, in disappearances, if you're willing to look at it in a certain way, you can. The problem, I would say also, Alan, is that Forensics have become such a huge part of crime solving, starting in the 1990s, right around the time that Leanne went missing, is that today's average detective, if there's no forensics, if there's no fingerprints, if there's no DNA, they don't know what to do. They have no, being that Alan, we're 
kind of in the same age, they have no Columbo instincts to them. You know, that gut feeling of being able to reason things out because they are such in a frame of science. And the only way disappearances get solved, either through luck or just gut, going with something because it seems logical or, you know, an intuition type of thing. And, and most detectives don't have that today, once again, because they're so caught up in the science. I just spoke at a school, uh, Northwestern State University uh, in Louisiana, about disappearances last week. Or no, two weeks ago now. Or not quite two weeks. And they have all sorts of forensics classes. They don't have one disappearance class. So that should tell you something. Even yeah. though disappearances are in the police's under the police umbrella too. So um, thank you for getting me on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I think, once again, and I, and I, you know, as I think I've told you, I have a very good friend of mine who is former NYPD, and I've talked to her. Yeah. You know, she knows about Leanne's disappearance. In fact, I think she was on the force at the time. However, she was working in their behavioral analysis uh, department yeah. at the time. But I've talked to other former law enforcement officers or current law enforcement officers all over the United States about this, and they agree with me. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be saying this if, uh, you know, I didn't have some backup of people who are actually in the profession. Um, so, but I, I have to tell you, though, given that he, this guy did come around in 2018 and spoke to you and drove all over New York City seeing the rest of your family and talked to him, that's more than most uh, families get. All right, I realize that Leanne is still missing right now, but trust me when I say that there are disappearances that are newer than Leanne's where people are trying to get police attention can't get anything. Well, I think, I think he, he alluded to the fact that it was such a cold case. I mean, mm -hmm. look... You know, in, in, in my opinion, I think that it's it's worth worthwhile in their position to at least look into it to see if they can uncover something and perhaps, you know, try to resolve it. And if they do resolve it, I would think it's a huge feather in their cap. And that's my opinion of, uh, of the reason why potentially that they wanted to assign, you know, more time to this case, to Leanne's disappearance. I, I don't <clears throat> think mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I don't think that uh, that's going to happen a whole heck of a lot. The current detective on the case re refuses to even return my phone calls. Mm -hmm. uh, if it, you know, easy for me to talk, but given what you said about Lena... Uh, if you have a detective, I would have him go talk to her, and I would have her claim to him that she's not the Lena that you know is the right Lena. Okay? Yes. And as soon that's, as she does that, I would slap her with a uh, obstruction of justice charge. That's that's my next step, and that is something that a uh, person, a, pro a private investigator who's been working with my daughter recently um, mm -hmm. has told us. Also. Yeah. That'll get her attention. That'll get her attention. Now, of course, a private investigator can't do that. But to get a, a, an actual uh, officer who has you know, the power of the state to do that, right. um, we know that you know her. You're denying it. We're looking into this as a crime. 
You claim you don't know her. That makes us suspicious. We're slapping, you know, obstruction of justice charge. How do you like that? Um, let's move on. Uh, this is a great discussion, Alan. I could talk about this topic for hours, but let's move on to, to bring this back to, uh, uh, Leanne and her disappearance. Um, obviously the last, uh, 22 years, uh, have been very difficult. Um, can you sum it up? You know, uh, what this has all been like, I think of course the listeners have gotten a taste of it already, but um, of course, you have two other daughters. You have an ex-wife who's, of course, still very concerned uh, about her daughter. Um, you know, can you sum it up? It's been... It is, it's just... There's a, a void in all of our lives. And... It could never be filled by anything but either her return and or, or getting knowledge of her whereabouts or her state. It's always been, from the very beginning, answering the phone is always a very, very scary thing yeah. for me. Because even to today, I don't I don't want that call that the body has been found. We all don't want that call. You know, you say you got to have closure. You got to have, you know, resolution to this. I got to tell you, being in the seat, it feels a little differently in that, you know, it's not that we don't want to know. I mean, yes, we have to know. We want mm-hmm. to know. We have to take the appropriate, you know, steps afterwards if, if 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 we get the worst news. But there's that part that does never wants to get that phone call. I don't want to get that phone call. We all don't want to get that phone call. We want to get mm-hmm. a phone call. She's here. She's there. It's her. That's the only phone call we want to get. Yeah. And that's that's a dream. And it's a dream that all of us share and, you know, always comes into my dreams. You know, I can't even tell you how many times Leanne has come home in my dreams. Okay. And I wake up. I believe it. Yes. Other, other guests have said the same thing. Of course, kind of off the record, but yes, common. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alan, uh, I will continue to work with you in any capacity that you'd like. Um, you know, keep me, I, I would hopefully, uh, you will keep me updated if there's anything, you know, that I can further do for you. I keep in contact with most of the guests who have been on the program. Uh, I'm always a person to talk to, give advice, etc. Um, you know, so I'm always going to be here for you. Uh, but before we conclude this interview, any final words? If anyone listening to this knows anything or has seen her, please contact us. You can, I guess, contact Ed. Absolutely. 
Sure. Yeah. And, and sure. One way or another, just contact us and, and uh, let us know what you what you know. Uh, I don't know what else to say except uh. that I I'm I'm a very lucky man in that I, you know, I have grandchildren and my my daughters or other daughters are okay, but this is a living hell nonetheless and it's a living hell for all of us yeah and it it just some days i just you know i have to go on because i have to be there for my grandkids i really do i, I yeah. feel like i have to especially yeah. my especially my grandson who doesn't really have a father present right now but if it wasn't for that and i didn't have everyone i mean it would just be i would just not want to exist anymore because this is a living nightmare and I I can't stand it. It's 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 too much. It's it's just too much. It's 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 beyond what anybody should ever have to endure. Yeah. We're all we're all feeling that way. Do you have a Facebook page or website set up for Leanne's disappearance that I can point people to, Alan. I have I have a website. I, it's um, LeanneHouseberg.org. Great. It's simply a uh, picture page of uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know just pictures of her with with us. Um, I intend to put a form on it to kind of like allow people to blog. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, allow people to make entries on it if they want. Well, I will surely direct, uh, by the time uh, they are uh, hearing our voices, and this episode will be coming out on October 29th, uh, I will have linked to that website and to uh, several articles regarding Leanne's disappearance. So I will, do, I will surely do that. But I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound, Alan. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And that was my October 24th, 2021 interview with Alan Artali, father of Leanne Hosberg. I thank him for joining me and all of you on this episode. If you happened to notice a couple of rough edits in the interview and a couple spots where it was muted, after the interview, Alan and I decided that some comments he made about a topic not concerning Leanne's disappearance were inappropriate, so I deleted them. In addition, I muted a couple of last names, Alan said, because I do not want those people to possibly be harassed, even though they probably deserve it. And as I stated in the interview, I created a map analysis video for this disappearance. You can now find it on the Unfound podcast channel on YouTube. So, how should Leanne's disappearance be analyzed? What to make of her friends and their silence. What to make of that car service ride that Leanne allegedly took. But wait, it was actually Barry's fiancé instead. What to make of Leanne's writings about a couple different boys, having sex with at least one of them. What to make of Leanne wanting to reconnect with her heritage. Well, there are two points, and each takes us in opposite directions. 
hey, if this were easy, everybody would be doing it. Point number one, the journal being found at home. Would this be normal for a girl who wanted to run away? I think not, but you may have a different interpretation. I mean, it may just be some kind of stereotype coming from Hollywood, but my idea is that when kids run away, yes, they may leave all their clothes and other possessions behind, but something like a journal would be taken. Why? Well, the contents are very personal. And would a runaway want her parents to find out about all her secrets? Not to mention, a journal, when left behind, could help track the runaway girl down if there are clues in those pages. However, there is a counter-argument to that. And that would be that if the runaway might think the journal, if brought along, could help identify her if she were ever tracked down... Leaving it behind is making sure there are no loose ends in her new identity. Point number two, and going the opposite way, those girls. I don't have anything good to say about any of them. But would they really keep their mouths shut for 22 years if they thought Leanne had been murdered? Would it not be more likely that they've kept quiet all these years because Leanne told them to do so, that she was running off due to everything Alan mentioned in the interview. This could explain why none of them even mentioned Leanne not going to school. I think it does. Unless those friends are actually responsible for Leanne's disappearance, which is hard to imagine, although not impossible. And one more thing that car service ride. I'm reminded of that line from that Humphrey Bogart film, Casablanca. And to paraphrase, of all the car services in all the cities in all the world, Letitia walked into that one. Maybe between her and all those friends, one of them will finally mature to be a nice woman. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've been listening to Unfound.